This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are. Day two of our combine coverage live from Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on One Bills Live. Another jam-packed doozy for you here today as uh, we'll have Chargers GM Tom Telesco joining us in about, oh, I'd say about 28 minutes from now. Get the update from him. Bills play the Chargers this year as well as the rest of the AFC West, so we'll get his take on that division and how it's shaping up. There have been some changes, not only to the Chargers coaching staff, but Raiders are looking for a quarterback. Broncos have a new head coach in Sean Payton who comes in with fantastic credentials. So Even the Chargers got a new yeah. offensive coordinator. And defensive for, coordinator. For now, yeah, both coordinators. So we'll talk to Tom about that. Hamburg, New York native as well. Two o'clock, one Charles Davis will be joining us. So uh, excited to catch up with him. Friend of the show, NFL on CBS color analyst during the uh, regular season of CF- CBS's coverage of the NFL. And then final half hour of the show, we've got CBS Sports draft analyst Chris Trapasso, who sometimes fills in on this very show, whether you or I are out at times. And he'll join us. And we'll go through some of the receiver prospects that he's been watching a lot of film on to get some updates. He's got some different names in there that he likes. So we'll talk with Chris in the final half hour of the show. So looking forward to that conversation. There is some very seismic news here at the Combine today, and we'll, we'll just jump right into it, Steve. Considered the best player in the entire class, Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter has been charged with reckless driving and racing in a connection with the crash that killed his teammate and the recruiting staff member a day after their parade in Athens to celebrate their national championship. Really a tragic event to begin with and now there are repercussions here as more and more is being found out about just what happened the athens clark county police department in georgia has issued an arrest warrant obtained wednesday by the associated press it alleges that carter was racing his jeep against the ford expedition driven by the recruiting staffer 24 year old chandler Lacroix, which led to the wreck Back on January 15th, the announcement came hours after there were reports in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that Carter was present at the scene of the crash and later provided shifting accounts of the accident to the police. As we know, Devin Willick, his teammate, an offensive lineman for the Bulldogs, and that recruiting coordinator, LaCroix, were killed in the accident. Carter was here at the Indianapolis Scouting Combine he was supposed to talk to the media this morning, Steve. About an hour and a half after this broke. That was scrapped. He, he is not talking not to reporters. Yeah. As we understand it, he has already fulfilled all of his interview responsibilities here at the Combine with the NFL clubs interested in speaking to him because those began on Monday. So all of his meetings took place on Monday and Tuesday. So he was free and clear of meeting with any teams after this came down. And he is not working out here. He's saving that for his pro day at Georgia. Reckless driving and racing are both considered misdemeanor offenses in the state of Georgia. Carter's representatives have told police that they are making arrangements for Carter to turn himself in in Georgia. He 
obviously has to get back there. Right, he's got to go home and get there, yeah. But they're telling him he will be turning himself in. Really, really unfortunate news. It was a tragedy when it happened. And, you know, kids being kids racing their cars through the streets. And it ended the worst way possible with two people killed. And And two other people hospitalized. It was uh, was tragic. And, uh, you know, so... One car that crashed, and apparently they're accusing, you know, Carter of being in driving the other car, or being a part of the other car, the passenger, or probably driving. So, uh, and then of course, you know, lying about it in the subsequent aftermath. So, um, it's going to sort itself out. Um, whatever happens to Jalen Carter, the tragedy is the two people are dead because of the you know kids being kids and racing cars. And you know, and yeah, now it's the the repercussions are going to come trickling out of the court system. Yeah. It's 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 tragic. I mean, Some it's of these details are mind blowing. Um, the police investigation revealed that racing after leaving the downtown Athens area at about two thirty in the morning, both vehicles switched between lanes. They drove in the center turn lane. They drove in opposite lanes of traffic. They overtook other motorists, drove at high rates of speed, and evidence indicated that shortly before the crash, the vehicle that did crash was going 104 miles per hour. The toxicology report indicated that Chandler LaCroix, the recruiting coordinator who was driving the vehicle that crashed, had a blood alcohol content of 0.197. Just, it's just terrible and just so senseless. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. Um, and everything that I know about Jalen Carter is the kid's an upstanding kid. Um, does community service there in the Athens area. Uh, we saw a report last week right. that when he found out that one of his teammates who was a walk-on didn't have any money for food, He used his own money from his NIL deals to pay for that teammate's lunch every single day. Um, So to see this is just really disappointing. We all know. I mean, even good people make mistakes. There's no question there was a number of kids involved in this whole thing, and there was a lot of mistakes made, Uh, which when you start stringing mistakes together, people people are killed, and that's what happened. So a real tragedy. I don't know that it impacts his draft status a whole lot. I mean, we'll obviously have to see how this is taken care of in the courts, whether they make a plea bargain or whether he pleads guilty. And, you know, two misdemeanors we're talking about here. So we'll have to see how it shakes out. And obviously a lot of these teams that were interested in Carter up at the top end of the draft are going to have to redouble their efforts with their due diligence, you know, to make sure they get it right based on what they feel their team needs. Yes. Absolutely. And this and this is, you know, he had some they people were red flagging him for his character before this. And maybe because of this, maybe they people had a hunch this was going to happen. Uh, then last week that, you know, the the story broke that you mentioned that he was taking care of a teammate with his own money, making sure the guy ate like like he was on scholarship. Um, but, you know, it's it's the human condition. They can do things that are unbelievably kind and generous and selfless, and they can also make really idiotic mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, this may it may be the case with Jalen Carter. 
NFL quarterback front as we go around the NFL, presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care provider of the Buffalo Bills. And Jets owner Woody Johnson, along with GM Joe Douglas, they are meeting with Derek Carr in Indy today. Now, he already visited the Jets at their facility in New Jersey earlier, prior to the combine, but he is meeting with them, sitting down with them, and Derek Carr already met with the Saints and Panthers yesterday. Carolina owner David Tepper was in that meeting with Carr in Indy. So the Jets are now meeting with Derek Carr today. Carr also met previously with New Orleans Saints owner Gail Benson down in New Orleans. And they'll be meeting with, he'll be meeting with her today. So Derek Carr doesn't look like he's in any hurry to make a decision on who he might be interested in signing with, but it is clear he's doing his own due diligence to get it right. And I have to believe it, he's motivated to do that after things turn so sour with the Las Vegas Raiders where he had right. previously spent his entire career. Yeah, and he's uh, so he's speaking with the Saints, spoke with Carolina Panthers, and now he's with the Jets. Um, those are the three most obvious suspects. I would wonder if there was another one in, but um, – Man, given the given the quarterback market being what it is always, there are a lot of teams we may not be aware of that may be kicking the tires on Derek Carr. So interesting that the Jets are coming back for a second round of an interview on both sides. Yeah. Derek Carr is interviewing them for a second time, and they're interviewing Derek Carr for a second time. So um, I, I I think that's an intriguing, and I think that's I think Derek Carr is the most well. He's a free agent, and that makes him the most viable option for a lot of teams. That You can put Aaron Rodgers out there or Jimmy Garoppolo out there, Geno Smith, but they don't have, I don't know what do you call the the freedom, I guess, the total freedom. I don't know, the, the track record, or certainly Derek Carr is a, is a one-of-a-kind asset on this quarterback market in this year, right. this offseason. And, and I don't think there's any question, I think he's the top guy on most people's list. Aaron Rodgers, speaking of him, right. he spoke publicly for the first time since completing his darkness retreat. And we heard Packers GM Brian Gutenkust yesterday here at the Combine say he's still unsure of his quarterback's 2023 plans. The other interesting th- thing that Brian Gutenkust said is that Jordan Love is ready to be a starter in this league. So there's a little bit of back and forth there. But Rodgers said on a podcast, an Aubrey Marcus podcast, quote, for everybody involved directly and indirectly, it's best for a decision earlier rather than later. He says, I feel really good about the conversations that are going to be had, that have been had, with the important people in my life that help to orient me, but I'm not looking for somebody to tell me what the answer is. All the answers are right inside me, and I touched many of them, and definitely the feelings on both sides during the darkness. I'm thankful for that time. Then there's this. There's a finality to the decision. This is Roger still talking. I don't make it lightly. I don't want to drag anybody around. Look, I'm answering questions about it because I got asked about it. I'm talking about it because it's important to me. If you don't like it and you think it's drama, you think I'm being a diva or whatever, then just tune it out. That's fine. This is my life. It's important to me, and I'll make a decision soon enough, and we'll go down that road and be really excited about it. So still no definitive answer on whether he wants to stay with the Packers or chart a new path in the twilight of his career here. Um, I'll say but it's this. going to happen sooner rather than later, according to him. Here's the thing. He's not going to get traded. There's, I don't know. There's nobody that's going to c- cough up the kind of 
capital? Capital to get him for what you're saying is probably guaranteed one year of service. He'll probably play. If he gets traded and he acquiesces to that, that trade, he'll give him that year. But he'll go through this retreat thing again. He'll reevaluate yeah. his career again. Um, you're not going to trade what it would take to get Aaron Rodgers off the Green Bay Packers to get Aaron Rodgers on a one-year deal. I mean, you can, you're talking about first-round draft picks. You're, two years ago, he was back-to-back MVP. Yeah. You're not – so it, Aaron Rodgers is not going – in my mind, there's no way Aaron Rodgers goes anywhere from Green Bay. Green Bay is not going to find a trade partner. Yeah. So uh, – and they, they certainly don't have the stomach to cut him because it would be a, a nine-gazillion-dollar cap hit. It w- it's like $93 million, right, or something like that. Uh, I have to double check because I, I, I remember we went over it once before. It's pretty right. high. I think there's a way to make it smaller if he's traded as opposed to released. So right. we'll have to check, and I, I'm trying to remember, but I think I'm just going to have to look it up because I don't remember yeah, off it's, the top It's of a my head. 99 $99 million dollar $99.7 million dead cap hit if they cut him. <laughs> If they trade him, though, it's only 31-6. That's, that's three times what the Carson Wentz thing was. We couldn't believe they did that. Yeah. That's $100 million of dead cap space. They maybe, do maybe, have, maybe the Saints will trade for him. They do have an out after this year. And, and there'll be $400 million over the cap. I don't see that happen. <laughs> I don't see that happening. <laughs> They're not trading that guy. Well, and as I have said multiple times, and I know you agree with me on this because you've reacted to this comment, why in the world Aaron Rodgers would want to go to the to any other team in the AFC makes no sense. Why are you right. going to go to the conference where you would have more competition, arguably three or four quarterbacks that are better than you, than stay in the NFC where the only guy you could make an argument is better than him is Jalen Hurts. Right. In the entire conference. That's right. You're probably still the best guy in your age 40 season, not to mention the fact that you're still the top banana in your own division and you could sail to another division title. That's right. So, <clears throat> so. if you're if you're still playing to win a Super Bowl, you stay right where you are. Exactly. You, you don't go to the AFC. But then you got to deal with Mahomes, he Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. Justin Herbert. I mean, the the list goes on and on. The Green Bay Packers are automatically in the playoffs if Aaron Rodgers shows up at training camp and the OTAs and all that. If he's on their team, they're they're a playoff contender because of that division. The Bears aren't gonna the Bears aren't gonna get near the Packers this year. No, they're still too far. The away. Lions are gonna probably take a step back from where from the lightning in a bottle they caught this year of going nine and it's eight. Possible that happens. And the Minnesota Vikings. Well, I hate to say it, but they're in the they're in the division with the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions. Good yeah. grief! Oh my, um, yeah. He should so, just he should just stay where he is. And yes, I, and I I would have been happy to tell him that he didn't go need to spend four days in a darkness retreat. You want to win well, the Super Bowl? Stay where you are. Well, here's the thing too, and we've been I'll say it again. Nobody's going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, knowing the price tag is going to be exorbitant 
and then have him come there and then after one year have the opportunity to opt out and just say, hey, yeah. thanks, guys, I'm 41, I, I'm done. Well, and I think that's what's kind of piquing the interest of some teams because they're thinking to themselves, well, it might only be for a year, but that means it might not cost as much as we think. Because if you're the team that's trying to trade for Aaron Rodgers, aren't you saying, hey, this guy's an unknown, as you've seen with your own team each of the last two off-seasons. If we're signing up for that, I'm not giving you two ones. I'm just not. Right. Because I might only get him for a year. I can't give up that kind of capital well, for that. here's the thing. A good GM would say that. A bad owner might say the opposite. I don't care. I do not do care. Do it anyway. Get him. Get, give him three ones. Oh, my gosh. Not yeah. three. Well, you know. Can't be three. You'll, bro. You know that there are owners out there who have done okay. stupider stuff than that. Right. Uh, let's move on. I think we've <laughs> talked about Rodgers enough. It's just it's so cut and dry for me, it's yeah, silly. He's not I don't know anywhere. how he doesn't see it. He, he does. Maybe because he probably he's in does the dark. See it. He probably does see it. Or maybe winning a Super Bowl isn't the aim anymore. Maybe it's like I want people to love me. Maybe that's the most important thing for him, and he wants to go somewhere where he's wanted and loved. Who knows? Well, that's why we I, go I can't through figure the, that. I, I told you that's why we go through these so things every offseason. He wants the Packers to profess their undying love for him before he makes yeah. his decision. Yeah, I don't know if they love him as much. I, anymore. I don't. I think they like. I think there's a new love in their life. Yeah, and his name's Jordan Love. <laughs> uh, Ravens. You see what I did there. Right? Yeah, I saw what you did. It was good. Play on words. Well done. We're you know we're here all week. <laughs> Ravens GM Eric DaCosta said yesterday he's hopeful to get a deal done with quarterback Lamar Jackson before having to apply the franchise tag. So no matter where they end up, we know one of the possible end games is the franchise tag, and I think it's careening towards that. Because as long as Lamar Jackson continues to dig in his heels and demand a fully guaranteed contract, we know the Ravens aren't blinking at that. They're not going to do it, and I understand why. We're looking at a franchise tag situation. Here. Absolutely. And I think it's the right thing to do for Baltimore. The only don't, other question. Don't guarantee that guy any money. Right. The only other question is, does he play in Baltimore on the franchise tag? Or is there a sign and trade deal? Because I think that right. possibility right. still very much exists. Do Yes. Do the Baltimore Ravens put him as a, uh, not a, what's the other, the other tag, um, not the exclusive not franchise the exclu- tag? Not the exclusive franchise yeah, tag. I think it'll be non-exclusive. If, it's, if they put him on a non-exclusive That'll, franchise tag, what it does is it invites other teams to make him an offer, and the Baltimore Ravens would have the opportunity to match it. And if they didn't match it, they get compensation in return. Two ones. Two ones. So, Which is probably what they'd be asking for. And it's him. also $12 million or $11 million less than the exclusive franchise tag. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out, but it is, it's franchise tag. That's a done deal, Lucille, as far as I'm concerned. They're not going to suddenly bridge the gap that they have right now in two weeks. Like, right. that's just not happening. Right. Uh, the other thing, the Dolphins. It's fifth-year option time for one Tua Tonga-Vailoa. They have to make that decision soon, you know, May, early May. And so uh, McDaniel... Mike McDaniel was asked, are you guys going to exercise the 50-year option on Tua this spring? And McDaniel said the Dolphins are not yet ready to make a call on that. 
Do you think that is purely tied to Tua's long-term health? Because all you're doing here, Steve, is buying yourself time, which you would think the Dolphins want to do with Tua. You exercise the 50-year option. Now you don't have to talk long-term contract extension. You can push that off a year. I would think they would be inclined to do that. Buy as much time as you can. Watch Tua get through a season healthy in 2023 for their sake. I'll say this, too. Don't forget, there was a stretch of games in the first half of the season or right in the midpoint of the season where Miami offense was absolutely killing it on all levels. They were just humming along. So they know that that's in the gas tank for Tua to light it up offensively. So they feel like, and, and, you know, rightfully so, no matter what you and I think, they have every right to believe they've got the guy because Tua put a – together a straight it wasn't one game it was a stretch of games where they were they were the hottest offense in football bar none of course then you know Tua gets an you know Tua got in concussed and you know then it all started to fall apart then but man oh man they were singing it for a minute so that's why they don't want to throw Tua to the curb but they also don't want to you know give him a Deshaun Watson contract maybe not even not even Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes contract Um, they may be waiting on Joe Burrow to see what his contract's going to look like with Cincinnati or maybe Tua wants to wait and see what that looks like with Cincinnati but that I, I think Miami is hoping against hope that Tua is past his injuries and can come back and play like he did for a good stretch of last season right and maybe the reason they don't want to commit to the 50-year option is because they say, let's see him get through this season. That's right. And we'll talk turkey after that, so whether I'm- it's a long-term. So here, here's the thing. Because you would say to yourself, hey, Tua, like they said at the end of the season, Tua's our guy. We're going forward with Tua. Okay, if you're going forward with Tua, that means you're trending in the direction of a long-term contract extension right. in a year's time. If you use the 50-year option, because he's your guy, you're just pushing that thing on the to-do list further into the future because you have the 50-year option there for him to play under if you choose to do so, but you got to make that decision by May. If you bypass that option, to me, it casts doubt on Tua's our guy because you're trying to leave yourself the option of completely divorcing yourself from Tua as soon as 2024. Right. Because his contract is up. And I think they know that Tua's injury history with the concussions is a major concern and should be. Because if you <laughs> if you give him the fifth-year option and he signs it, it's fully guaranteed besi- uh, aside from injury. Well, here's the thing. I, you asked if it was purely because of his injuries. Um, I think Yes. That's that's their own. That's got to be their only hesitation, because he's played exactly like you thought Tua was going to play when he came out of college. He's played on the high end of that. Yes. Um, for stretches of his career, his problem is he he can't stay upright, and I mean, his first season, the Bills put him out in week two of the season. They, he was he he was out because of a quick sack. He was finished for the game. Then they, a shove. A sh- he was out, and then, concussed from a shove. And then the next year. 
it was Matt Milano, this one where we thought he was concussed. He said it was a back injury. Four days later, it is a concussion, and, and the whole <laughs> that whole debacle took place. I th Yeah, they know. They know he can play. They do not know that he can stay healthy. Yeah. And that's that's where they sit. That's a big if. And it's a huge if when you're when you're going to commit that kind of because you know it's not it's, it's not even the length of the contract. It's the guaranteed money of giving it to a guy who will never see the yeah. end of a contract or see the even the, the most of that contract. One other note from around the NFL, it was announced today the NFL Hall of Fame game, the first preseason game of the year played in Canton on Hall of Fame weekend will feature the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns to open the preseason in 2023. We're still a long way off from the NFL schedule coming out, right. but the first preseason game, Hall of Fame game, Browns-Jets, uh, which makes some sense because uh, there are some former Browns and Jets going into the Hall this year. We have to right. take a break here because when we come back, Chargers general manager Tom Telesco, a Hamburg, New York native, going to join us next, talk a little AFC West, the division the Bills are playing this fall. Tom Telesco coming your way here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Pleased to be joined now by L.A. Chargers general manager Tom Telesco, also a Hamburg, New York native, for those that don't know. Tom, good to have you. Good to see you. It's kind of our annual thing here. It is our combine. annual thing. Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah. So the biggest news, and I know this is like got to be feeling like a home run for you guys, landing Kellen Moore as your new O.C. Like maybe just lay out how that all kind of came together for you I'll guys. I'll tell you what, a lot of luck. Uh, really lucky that he became available. When we made the change, um, he wasn't a coordinator that we thought would be available, so we were working down a list of, of other coordinators, and there, there were some people that we interviewed that we really liked. Um, but then Kellen, kind of late in the process, they made a change in Dallas. He got a chance to kind of get out, um, and he really just fit everything we're looking for. I mean, if you look what he did on the field with, with the Cowboys as a coordinator, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and then just, you know, hit his, his relationship with the quarterback, which is really important to have between those two people, and there was some familiarity between Justin um, and Kellen, just a little bit. Uh, they knew each other from a couple of things they did up in the Pacific Northwest, but you know, having a former college quarterback who played a high level, played in the NFL, and when they talk about things, they'll kind of see it through the same lens, which I think is important for those two. Um, so really lucky to have him. He'll bring a little different you know, vision for our offense. Mm -hmm. We're excited about it. And also, not for nothing, having a guy coming in, working with Herbie, Justin Herbert, yep. is a lot different than some other teams have. I mean, you got an off, you got guys who would love a chance to go to L.A. and work with, with yeah. your guy. Yeah, and I think I think Kellen, I shouldn't speak for him, but I will since I'm on Buffalo Radio. <laughs> I think, you know, he, he's working in Dallas with, for, with the head coach that's an offensive head coach. Yeah. Um, now Kellen can come to, to L.A. Um, with an established players on offense already and really run his offense that he wants to run. Because um, Brandon Staley is more on the defensive side of the ball. So Kellen has a clean slate with how he wants to run it. Um, we're excited about it, and we think we have some players that really fit what he sure. wants to do. How big a change will that be, you know, for Justin Herbert and the crew? You know, you bring a new system in. It's a new learning curve. I mean, not that he can't handle it, but you know what I'm saying? It's yep. a change nonetheless. So you got to get everybody up to speed all over. That's a process, you know? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a big change. Luckily, our, our quarterback is really smart and sharp, and so he's going to have to kind of work through that um, but everybody else, I think, will be fine. But, yeah, it's going to be a change. I mean, this offseason will be a lot of mental reps uh, for Justin with the terminology and how, how he calls things. And 
Um, but we got plenty of time for that. Not worried about it. So we sit here, we talk about the Bills all the time. They've got 22 unrestricted free agents. Give us a little thumbnail about what, you know, what's the first thing on your plate. You've got the same kind of problems as every yes. other team. Give us a little thumbnail of where you're at and where your process yeah, is. The whole process, like this time of year, it's, it's your own free agents. You're trying to work through about, you know, who you want to resign, who you can resign. Um, then you're working through, you know, free agents for other teams. Like we'll be looking at the Bills free agents, obviously, and then, then the draft. You're doing that all at once. Uh, but the first part of it is, where of your player, at least how, how we work, where of our players, how many can we bring back? Right. And, you know, what are the financial ramifications of that as far as their salaries? So we have to pick and choose sometimes. We can't bring everybody back, and nobody can, and that's the way the league is set up. And it's set up, you know, in a good way for that. It keeps a competitive balance. That you just can't, you can't, like, keep bringing your own back. That's why we have a, um, a hard salary cap. So uh, we'll go through. There will be some players I know on our team that we'd love to bring back, but financially we probably can't this year. We're our cap space is not nearly what it was last year. So we'll kind of work through those, see where that goes, and then we'll kind of work through free agency, which for us will be a lot lighter than it was in, say, last year. I asked Brandon Bean this question yesterday. I'll ask you the same one. So there are different avenues that you can pursue to get your cap number in a place where not only are you in cap compliance, but you can make some moves to improve your roster. you got, obviously, restructures with existing contracts, player releases, trades. Yep. So... If you had to make a pie chart, which which choice or which avenue makes up the biggest part of your pie? Do you think that is a great question? Because you, first you'd say, "Well, just we'll just restructure everybody. That way we can keep everybody." Right. But restructuring is just pushing money back right. into other years, which eventually is going to hit you. So you have to be careful with that. Um, and then the trade and release, you know, that's you don't want to have to go that route. Um, certainly, don't want to go the release route. The trade route is sometimes difficult based on. You know, the, the calendar of where we are, sometimes the trade has to be done before March 15th. Sometimes it has to, you know, so there's, that makes it a little bit more difficult. But if you can do the right contracts in the way in, and then if you do have to restructure, it doesn't hurt you that bad. That's the way you'd like to go. Yeah. Um, but it's easier said than done sometimes. Who's at the top of your list for your guys that, that, that you've got to address first come this offseason? Well, I know for us, we, we have three starters. Our starting free safety, Nas Adderley, our starting linebacker, uh, Drew Tranquil, and our starting right tackle, uh, Trey Pipkins, all draft picks for us. They've all kind of grown in our system. Um, we have a draft, develop, and resign philosophy. The only problem is, is I mean, it's not. A, I mean, if you do draft well, you can't bring everybody back. Right. Um, and you know, we've had our hits and misses like everybody else. But those are three young players that have really grown in our system and turned into starters. We'd like to have them all back. Can we do that or not? I'm not sure yet. That's a part of this meeting here at the combine and trying to see where the market is for different positions because it changes every single year and uh, see what we can get done. The Bills have the AFC West on their schedule next year. Uh, as you know, they'll be coming out to you guys at some point when the schedule is released. Um, what do you make of the division? Because there's been some turnover there. You know, the Raiders are going to have a new quarterback. The Broncos have a new head coach. So there are some teams that are experiencing a lot more churn than you guys are the Chiefs. You would think that would put you in a favorable position from a continuity standpoint. Yeah, we'll, ha we'll obviously have more continuity than Denver. Um, and then, you know, Las Vegas Raiders are probably still transitioning through the Josh McDaniels um, era. And then we've got, you know, the Chiefs, which, you know, yeah, they're, right. they're, they're the oh, Don't worry, now, we know. So. <laughs> we feel your pain. Yeah. We play them almost every year. So. But that, you know, as, as we build our team, I mean, we have to look at who's top in our division. That's Kansas City, and we have to try and beat a team, or build a team to beat them. Um, and then, you know, Denver is just – Denver's a really talented team. And now they have, a you know, obviously a, a proven head coach walking in there. So – um, it's going to be a tough division, um, but it makes us all better. It'll make us better once we get to the playoffs, so we'll just kind of work from there. You've got your quarterback in uh, Justin Herbert. 
and you see Josh Allen, and we've seen him, you know, face off. Um, two guys that are big, athletic, guys that you can build around, and, and they're young. I mean, both these guys are going to be around for a long, long time. You you've see the same thing in your division. You and it's Justin Herbert and Pat Mahomes. Yep. And the story about, you know, Justin finding out he was going to play against him five minutes before he got on, you know, three years, four years ago when, uh, when that happened. And yep. all of a sudden it's like, wow, who is this guy? Uh, give us an idea of what, how having that we see from our side in, in Buffalo with Josh. What's it been like for you guys getting him? starting to build around him and your philosophy going forward. Yeah. Well, first of all, we're just we're lucky to have him. I mean, you look at the teams, there's teams that have franchise quarterbacks and there's teams that are desperately trying to find a franchise quarterback. And I know, you know, four or five years ago when we had Philip Rivers, who was still playing at a really high level, but we all knew, like, this isn't going to last forever. He's not going right. to play until he's 45, 50 years old. We have to have the next quarterback ready to go. And you lose a lot of sleep over who the next quarterback's going to be. Um, so to be able to you know, be in a draft where Justin is available and they draft him, you know, we're just hugely lucky to have that. And the other problem is, is like all these great quarterbacks seem like they're in, there, in the, in the yeah, AFC. They're but, on our side of the country. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but um, but then as as Justin grows and just like you guys have with Josh Allen, that Josh is now on a second contract, when Justin is on a second contract and we have to pay him accordingly, you do have to build a team differently, um, which is fine. That That's just part of the job. That's that you want to have that problem because that means you have a veteran quarterback who's really good. So we can handle that. Now we're going to be younger in some other areas, um, which we've never been worried about. Um, but, yeah, the team will have to be built a little bit differently. And a lot of it's following the blueprint that I learned when I was with the Colts uh, when Bill Pauline right. was there and how Bill built the Colts with Peyton making you know, a big chunk of the salary cap. And you know, we did just fine there. You're going to be waiting a little bit longer to pick this year, uh, having made the playoffs down at 21. And... Well, unless you decide, hey, I like somebody, let me go up and get them. Is it reassuring when you have the franchise quarterback and you know there's other teams desperate for one? I'm just curious. You're sitting in the draft room on draft night, and every quarterback that gets picked in front of you, i got to believe you're sitting there going, awesome, awesome, because you don't need one, and it's pushing everything else that you may need down to you. Yeah, I keep telling people. I, I see at least eight first-round quarterbacks yeah, this year. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't you guys? Uh, right. At yes. least eight. At least I'll eight. push the narrative if I you want because yeah, it I, helps yeah, us, yeah, too. I see that. eight first-round quarterbacks. I see eight left tackles. Yeah, there you go. So, But, uh, yeah, that's that's part of the draft. That's why it's, it's, it's nice. Now, where we're picking at 21, I don't know if anybody's going to trade up in our spot for a franchise quarterback. They'll probably go before we go. But, yeah, um, but yeah that, that's certainly – it is nice knowing that we have that part of it done and we just kind of build around – him from there but the big thing with the draft which i try and remind people is when we're drafting this year it's not just to fill a need for 2023 we're drafting these players for two three four and five years down the road we can't really have a a narrow look at it that whoever we're drafting this year has to you know slide right into a to an immediate spot so which makes it nice drafting that way it means you don't have to really reach for a certain position you take the best guy that's there and kind of roll from there so we sit here in buffalo and watch you guys we don't see you that often and um we get kind of the big, you know, 10,000-foot view from across-the-country view. One of the things you did this season, and one, some, one of the things has been uh, kind of, I don't know whether it's a, what do you call it, a curse or an unfortunate, you guys have struggled with injuries over the last three or four years. You're making some changes on that side of your organization this offseason, but really there's only so much you can do. But because you know, it's injuries, who, how do you know who's going to get injured? But by the same token, you feel like you got to try something. How deep a dive do you go into 
uh, to try and change the fortunes of your franchise on something that seems so random like injuries. Yeah, it is a little bit. Like we had a lot of injuries this year and a lot of right. injuries to key players. You know, two years ago, Brandon's first year, we were really healthy, like top five healthiest team in the league. So it goes up and down. And one right. thing to remember, and I know you know this, is training staffs go, training staffs treat the injuries after they happen. They don't really prevent right. injuries. <clears throat> But as far as trying to get through that, it's really, you know, what type of players are we bringing in? Are we bringing in players that are have chronic injuries or maybe high-risk high injuries from college or maybe free agency? So a lot of it is who you're bringing in. Um, some of it is how you run your program, how you practice, how you play, the tempo that you play at, the tempo that you practice, how you work in the weight room, uh, nutrition. Those are all part of it. And then a lot of it's just a little bit of luck. Right. Um, so you're trying to you know, add that all up. We did a really deep dive when we moved from San Diego to Los Angeles because in San Diego the last couple of years our injuries were higher than the league average. Um, we put a lot of effort into nutrition, strength and conditioning. And then, but it's always been big in player personnel is you, know, you don't want to bring in a lot of players that have you know, big injury risk because the odds are <laughs> higher that they're going to get yeah. hurt. So we've always put a lot of work into that. And it's funny, you do all that work and then you still have some injuries and sometimes it's yeah. just the luck of the draw. And that's, that's what we always hear and it's become you know, kind of a mantra. That's what you're, it's all about in this, at it this really Indianapolis. Is. You got to get your doctors with their hands on them, get some, get them under the MRI machine, get a look at them. And we've seen eh, not a lot, but a handful of times over the decades where a guy comes into the NFL combines, like you shouldn't be playing football. Yeah. yeah. yeah they didn't yep. know. Um, and, and a lot it, of the, the, all the, the medicals that are here also help some players that maybe had a couple of things in college. And our doctors see it like, look, everything's healed. He's at no more at risk than, than another player. So this, these physicals can also help the players as well. Right. What do you – we're always curious for – about because we suffer from Bill's myopia and we live it every day. But the league view as a whole, like through an opposite lens from the one we look through, what is the general consensus on the Bills, you know, as it – as a contender in the AFC. Like, I'm just curious, how do other teams look at that club? Well, I'll tell you, I, number one, to me, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, they're special. They're just, they're special people, but they're also special what they do. So once you have that and then you have Josh Allen, I mean, you've got the perfect three right there. And I mean, I, I probably follow the Bills a little more than the regular GM just because I'm from there and because right. my family is still all big Bills fans. <laughs> and quite frankly, I'm still a Bills fan if it doesn't affect us. Right. Um, but, um, no, it, they're looked on very favorably. I mean, it, it's, it's a stacked roster. It's run really well. They can play in all different elements. Um, and they're a fun team to watch. And they're, they're a hard team. It's a very difficult team to play. I'm glad we have the Bills at our place this year. We don't have to go to Buffalo. We don't have to go in December. Yes. You know, get, get you guys on our turf. Um, but it's just a really well-run organization with a lot of good players and with a, you know, a big-time head coach and general manager. Well, it's been great seeing you. I know we do this, this kind of a, a yearly visit. We catch yes, up sir. and see, you know, ask about the families <laughs> and stuff. What? So, how long you, are you guys in town through Monday? Because I keep we're out of here Friday. Everybody else is here like till Monday. I mean, the weekend is. We're, we're actually getting, getting out early. Watching the the workouts live is actually pretty difficult to do because you got like say like corners. You got thirty corners right. lined up running through drills. It's actually easy for us to watch it on tape where I can watch right. one player do all of his drills at once. So mm. we'll get out pretty early. Get our work done this week. Get out this weekend. And then uh, kind of go from there. So yeah. that's interesting. So you do it in cut-ups, like just the cut-ups just make it so much more efficient. And... Rather than a, if yeah. I'm watching a corner uh, backpedal for a drill, and then there's 20 more guys that go, and then he goes again. You just can't watch everybody. Because yeah. I didn't know if it was if there was value in oh let this guy, and then how does he compare to the next guy? How does he compare to the next guy? Is there value in that, or are you just better off doing cut-ups one at a time? I tell Obviously, you, what, you feel that if, way. If, if, if you can focus your eyes for six hours doing that, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not smart. I'm not smart enough. 
Um, <laughs> I've tried to do that. I was just curious. Like, but it's, it's, I'm it's sure there's different it, methods. As you guys watch it, I mean, it's rapid fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's fast. That's and right. So you're watching a receiver catch balls. You're not even sure which quarterback was throwing to him because you're trying to watch everything. Right. And for us, just watching tape is so much. I can rewind it. I can well, that's it. what you guys are used to. That's, and that's yeah. what we're used to. But yeah. there's definitely there, there's some people that, hey, like, I got to see it live. I got yeah. to see the ball get in the hands and see the grip. Everybody looks at it a little bit differently. I know I've learned a lot from post-COVID of our be more efficient with how we work. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, everyone kind of handles this differently. Yeah. All right, Tom. Thanks again, as always. We'll see you out yeah. in L.A. this fall, hey, man. Make sure you tell Murph I said hello. Yeah, we will. He's, he's, he's doing, doing better. Well. Yep. That'll be Chargers GM Tom Telesco joining us here. We'll take a break, but be back with plenty more here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. NFL Combine in Indianapolis, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. As we are on day two of our Combine coverage. And uh, we saw Bryce Young is now in Indy on the scene. And the biggest question about the Alabama quarterback is undoubtedly going to be durability. Uh, Played this season with his weight in the 170s at best. We've even heard from some people in the know that there were games last season that he entered at 169 pounds. Steve, it's not big. I am not 5'11 like him, but I'm about that weight. That would be like me running around there. I would get destroyed, snapped it's, in half like a toothpick. In my opinion, I'm playing quarterback. Now I'm, I'm not saying against. Uh, well, I guess I am. I, I just don't think that's big enough to play that position at the NFL level. Um, that's like have you know you can't have a 5'10". 200-pound offensive guard, and you're not going to have 170-pound QB. And I'll say this. Doug Flutie did it. Right. Um, and he stayed pretty durable. Tremendous escapability, and yeah. he also knew how to take a hit. Just Very from having so. watched him play with the Bills for three seasons, there were times where people were coming clean and ready to literally take his head off back when you could hit quarterbacks. Yep. And what he would do is, as he would get rid of the ball, he would step away from the hit, throw the ball, and it would reduce the force of the blow because he would kind of go with it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think enough quarterbacks do that even now, uh, especially the ones of smaller stature. And, I mean, (laughs) Flutie had an awareness where he never got caught off guard. Right. And you say never, but I'm sure he took some shots. Tua does not have that ability, which is why he is taking judo to learn how to fall properly for that. It is a thing, no question, but I have have serious doubts about it. Plus, and, and we've seen it before, you know, Bryce Young may show up. At 200 pounds at the combine. Right. Well, that only, was the talk. He only w- to show up at 175 when OTAs and training camp start. Well, even if he's even if he's able to hold on to that 200 pounds until the start of training camp, Can he run? by the end of the training camp, it's going to all melt off. There's just too much work going Plus, on. Plus, I, I said this when we talked about this earlier in the week, or perhaps it was last week. It's not who he is. Is he's not. A 200-pound man. Right. And, you know, he may be when he gets to be my age. That's what happened to me, right? So, <laughs> But he's not. When he's in his full – when he's a young, athletic 
human being. His body's telling him he needs to be a buck seventy-five, right? right? So he can try and do that, but he will play his, that. You're telling me he's going to play his entire career being a different physical specimen than he is. He well, would be otherwise. Now, I've seen, and if know, he's going to play, and if he's going to play at one seventy-five, one eighty, whatever it is, I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to have a ten-year career. I think no, he's I'm, going to have a six-year career. I'm telling you, there have been the guys do it all the time, though. Now, I'm having said that, offensive linemen, we the the old adage is you are either a fat offensive lineman or a skinny offensive lineman, but you're all big when you're playing, and then after you finish, you become the fat guy or the skinny guy. Uh, nobody plays at a natural weight at that spot because they got to, you know, they got to be as heavy and strong and powerful as they can be. So they they transform their bodies, and so do other positions. So it's I'm not saying he can't do it. But that is another hurdle he's got to get over if he's going to play at a heavier weight and do it for an entire career. I think the only thing that could remotely save him, save him is he's known as a cerebral player, knows offenses, coverages, pre-snap to post-snap, backwards and forwards. Like it's, it's like that for him. So if he can get the ball out of his hand at the pro level like Joe Burrow, Tua. You can make the argument that that could reduce the concern about his durability because he's not taking those hits because the ball's coming out so fast. Um, That's fine. Over 17 games, though, I got to believe sooner rather than later, somebody's going to catch him. What's going to happen on a third and 22? Yeah. You know? You got to wait for the route, even if (laughs) you want to get the ball out. Yeah. What's going to happen on a third and 11? You know, what's going to happen when they have a bad play here and a bad play? Because here's the thing. All it takes is one. It's not like you have to have seven of those to have him struggle. You know, he may be able to pick up six of them, but on that seventh one, he holds the ball, and he's out for six weeks because he took a shot. Yeah. So you, <laughs> the margin of error is razor thin, and you, it can't be razor thin when it comes to physicality. In a physical sport, right. Right. Yeah, it's... I think it's the great conundrum. I really do. And we've heard, yes, it is. And for this reason, we heard it. The guy's a phenomenal guy. Processes it, sees it, mm-hmm. gets it out, knows where everybody is. He's, he's like at another level for a college athlete coming into the pros. This guy's uh, an amazing guy. But the only, you know, he's 175 pounds. Right. It's a question we'll pose to Charles Davis. From NFL on CBS and the NFL Network, he's going to join us next for hour number two on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are at the NFL Combine, hour number two. 
Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Pleased to be joined by a good friend of the show. You've seen him before, and you'll now see him again from NFL on CBS and also NFL Network Draft Analyst. It is one and only Charles Davis joining us here, center stage. Good to have you, Charles. Hey, How you th- been? You doing all right? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. I apologize to everyone. You're stuck with me one more time, but it's great, <laughs> great to hang yeah. with my guys one more time. Well, this is we'll, pretty cool. All right, we'll give you a couple minutes. And, <laughs> and then, then, you know, got, then you got to go. We got things we got to do. <laughs> we, uh, we were knocking around just before you came on. The big question around Bryce Young, which yeah. is the durability concerns. Yeah. There's talk that he's going to come in here and try to weigh, weigh in at 200 pounds. That's the goal. A birdie told us. There were times last season that he came into games at 169. Wow. I mean, that's we've tiny. Seen, we've seen guys make the weight jump, Charles, all the time. Come in here at an inflated weight, yeah. what have you. 30, chugging, chugging all the water. 30 pounds, though, Charles. I'll that's not this, even though. natural. I'll say, I'll go out on a limb and say he did play maybe a game at 169. He probably won it. No question about that. <laughs> but, so, that but part's here, easy. So here's the question, okay? So the durability question is out there on him. We've talked about how the kid is so razor sharp. He can probably be a quarterback in this league that can get it out on average in two and a half seconds to maybe reduce the number of hits he will take. But then Steve brought up what happens on third and 22. Yeah. Like, he's not getting out two and a half seconds on third and 22. No. So the durability concern is there. And his fellow alum, Tua, is only 200 pounds and has durability issues, as we saw last season. That can't be helping a case like Brian, you know, like Young. So yeah. what do you do there if well, you're one of those teams at the top of the draft? I think he's the best playmaker by by far. I think he's a playmaker extraordinaire. Um, I struggle with the idea that he even weighed 169 playing a game. That seems like an awfully precise number for someone to ding a guy with. Yeah. Um, but the idea that he was around 180 and less, I, 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 I could see that. Like, I, I can buy that a little bit more. He... You're going to have to check him and make sure he doesn't have a brick in, in each hand, right? And, 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 and a little extra in his socks in his pants. and the whole deal yeah, to do what, his, what he's got to check do. Him. He'd probably drink a gallon of water before he can step At least, yeah, right? So. He, 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 they better get the way in quick so he can make a run, right, 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 after he does it. Bottom line is, remember a few years ago we were waiting to see if Kyler Murray measured over 5'10"? Remember that one? Yeah. And we got the and measurement. And, and everybody went, whoa, okay. Then we had Joe Burrow, is his hand nine, nine inches, and he hit nine. We always have that where this these special weigh-ins. This kid is the most mature quarterback in the group for me. He makes the most plays. He plays from the pocket better than he gets credit for. He is not a runner-runner. He is a play extender, and then the ball goes. He's a passer. He's yeah. a passer. He, he anticipates. He sees. There's things that I've seen him do that I go, well, hold on a second. How did he see that play developing that way where the ball goes there and all of a sudden the guy is there to meet it? I like him. Plus, I think he's a lot tougher than maybe what people know. My spies have told me that you remember when he hurt his shoulder last year and he missed a game? Yeah, he got tripped up on a play at if, the sideline. Right. If that game had been a different game, he probably would have played in that game. Okay, so they were able to rest him that week. But my spies tell me there wasn't a heck of a lot of practice down the stretch, and somehow he was able to play on Saturdays and play really, really well. Oh, yeah, by the way, he and Will Anderson and the rest of his bowl, his mates, they played in the bowl game, which was stunning in this day and age because it won the national right. oh, championship instead of opting game. Out, you instead mean. of opting out, they go and they play. He goes, what, 21 for 25, five touchdowns. Okay, mm-hmm. see you guys later. I like him. I know the durability concerns are big. And Steve knows better than, than you, than me, because he played in that era when quarterbacks looked like Jim Kelly. 
because they were taking the most ungodly shots back there right, that yeah. weren't being penalized or called. And Jim Kelly was a big man. Dan Marino was a big man. Right. They were Boomer Siasen was a big John man. Elway. It's not John just Elway was big. a big man. They were heavy. Big, thick people because they were the hits, heavy dudes. The hits then, Steve, that would all draw flags now, yeah. they had to take those and endure yeah. those. Yeah. It's a little bit different than yeah. where we are now. And this, this a guy like Bryce Young, and here's the thing, too, and why he's so interesting, why this is because we always talk about the wars. That's yeah. what this is about. You know, is. He's almost, you come in here and it's almost like, okay, you kind of, what's going to disqualify a guy? That's the only thing. This is it. Because from the neck up, from from the heart out, this guy is presidential. He is he is off the charts, leadership, intelligence, uh, innate instincts, everything you can put intangibly on a quarterback, plus the X's and O's, he's got it. I gotta tell you, he's something. got bags of it. He does, and, and and think of it this way: sometimes people do things to make sure you know they did them, even yeah. though they're acting like they didn't. Right? We all, oh no, 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 no. Like, what do we call our humble brag? You right, know? right. You know, the humble. Ah, oh, you know, and I was hanging out with Cruz, and but but you know, it wasn't a big deal, right? I saw this kid in a situation last summer where there's a chance to go to an establishment that you need to be 21 or older. He wasn't 21. He opted out of going. But the only reason I knew was I was near the conversation. I was like, you know, and he was much more, I don't think it's a good idea because if something goes wrong, and that's it. And that was it. He didn't oh. jump up and go, I can't go, guys. I'm not 21 or whatever. Yeah. Just recognizing I don't need to put myself in bad situations just in case. The chances of something happening were pretty small, yeah. but I think he had the innate, the innate understanding that if it does, I got to yeah. deal with it. Risk and why forward, bother yeah. with it? And he's plus, seeing big yeah, picture. Yeah. Well, he's understanding the world better than I was sitting there going, "Man, when I was that age, what are you talking about? Yeah, I would have been, yeah, been the first guy in." Self, <laughs> self awareness is not uh, not a problem for him. It's not a it's not a commodity that everybody has. All right, so let's take a closer look in terms of the Bills. Obviously, we've got free agency even before we get to the draft and the kids that are here this week and they have uh, a giant positional hole at safety just because of expiring contracts it's not just Jordan Poyer Jaquan Johnson his backup is up Dean Marlowe the vet they brought in via trade is up so they have just from a sheer numbers standpoint safety to fill linebacker could be a hole if Edmonds doesn't come back and it looks like he's going to command a pretty very big price tag Jordan Phillips is a free agent. I know he was hurt, but yep. you know there's a hole there to be addressed, and and that's what, that's just on defense. Um, you know, when people are saying receiver, interior, O line, what do you what do you see as priorities for Buffalo in, in free agency? Well, I think that you've nailed some pretty good ones, and this is where the 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 tragedy of Demar Hamlin also comes into is an unknown, yeah, because. He would have been obviously one of those people right there and had played himself into that position that we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? So that's one thing that kicks in. You definitely want to shore up because now your division has gotten better. And yep. by the way, that team in green, until they get settled at quarterback, they're going to get Brees Hall back. They've got Michael Carter. They're going to want to run the heck out of the football. So that's where the Jordan Phillips yep. play comes into play, right? right. So. This is not a division because when you took over the division and became that team, it was New England. Everybody's going, okay, can New England get back in it? And no one else was in the fight. <laughs> they weren't there. Yeah. Guess what? Everybody's in the fight now. It's a whole right. different ball game. So that's what I would say. And I will tell you this. 
get off a of free agency. What is the name of that young man at Illinois? He's a safety, and I saw him at the Senior Bowl, and it's driving me. Oh, um, not Witherspoon. He's the corner. Yeah. Brown is his last name. Yeah, he's one of Illinois, he's a twin. And he's a twin, and his twin plays uh, running back <laughs> for them. Yeah, Sidney Brown. He had a week at the Senior Bowl that got my attention. He's a leader. He's a ball hawk. He's a tackler. He plays like a Buffalo Bill safety. Bill's DNA, as Brandon right. Bean he says. He really plays like a Buffalo Bills safety. All right, so if we want to flip, what would you say? You said the rest of the division is getting yeah. better. I tend to agree with you on that. What do you think is the general overview league-wide of the Bills? Because Steve and I deal with Bills yeah. myopia every day. What is the outside <laughs> observance still, of still, the Bills right now going into 2023? Still the team setting the pace. Still the team that you have to chase down in the East. Still a team that, that is a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, everyone's got to plug some holes, but everybody goes through it every year. But you mentioned Bills' DNA. Oh, it's, it's, it's steeped now where they believe they're winning. I'm going to say as an outsider – Watching what you had to go through last year from the moment DeMar went down through the rest of your season, the organization handled it, the players handled it, the fans handled it, dignity, class, empathy, caring, all the things that are associated with Buffalo. But you can't tell me, and this is one person now, this is me, that the toll on the team that they can never talk about wasn't big. Oh, because. Yeah. I watched a team against Miami in the playoffs that was already operating off of an emotional deficit. They found a way to win. The Cincinnati game, I take nothing away from the Bengals. Congratulations, they won the ball game. I said in the first quarter, <laughs> this team is emotionally spent because there's no way you can get away from it. There's no way you can blow up and say, guys, we've got to move on and play a game this week. Now you're insensitive. No one's going to do that. Mm -hmm. You're going to take care of DeMar. You're going to take care of the situation. You're going to take care of your people. It right. had its toll on them. Now they can move forward. Now they can go back and play football again. DeMar is okay. Whether he plays football or not is almost irrelevant. The man's alive and we're all happy. That's wonderful and everyone does the right things. That's the thing that I saw at the end of last year for them, and you will never hear a word come out of one Bill's <laughs> place. It would never right. happen. I'm saying it as an outside observer. You can see it because I've been through it before with other teams. When you've had these kind of things that have happened, eventually it wears you down, and that's just how it goes. No getting around because all of us are coming in going, so uh, how was practice today? Was DeMar practice today? So yeah. how was this? Did, yeah. you, did you talk to DeMar today? Right. And, and – Steve, yeah, you're yeah. a player. You no, know I how think, it goes. I think you nailed it. If you saw Tredavious White's press conference after the New England game, which yeah. was the last regular season game, they asked him to describe the week, and he called it an expletive show. And he said, I try to turn on the TV to forget about it. Can't and what it. I saw, he said, every time the TV goes to commercial, I can't unsee it. It's the first thing that pops in my head. And it's unfortunate. I walked out of they that press right conference, there. and I said, oh, boy. Yeah. This, this team might be in trouble from an emotional content standpoint, which Steve talks about all the time and kind of educates our listening audience about. Because if you've never played at that level, you just don't know the emotional investment you have to make every week to get yourself ready to physically pay the price. And, and I still don't yeah. think a lot of NFL fans understand it. And to pay homage to your teammate. You want to make sure that that teammate gets right. his due. Steve, you were in the league when Jerome Brown died in Philadelphia, right? Yes, I was. Okay, so so it was so an off season. It was an off season yeah, yes. thing. But you remember what the Eagles did that year? They kept the seat open on every charter. They kept his locker, and they did his locker on the road. Emotional debt 
just it just kept cre creeping yeah. in on them. I was former PGA term, PGA Tour tournament director. Payne Stewart died. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. We tournament directors were trying to out honor Payne, <laughs> out honor each other for Payne right, right. every week. By the end of the year, I called the PGA Tour because my term was last term. I said, "What should we do for Payne?" And they're like, Charles, there's nothing left to do. Not that anyone doesn't love him, not anyone care. Eventually, you run, you run your course on right. that. Again, I, I hope I'm not coming off the wrong way. It was tough for these Buffalo players to do everything they had to do. And by the way, they wouldn't change a thing because they love their teammate. That's the key. Yeah. You wouldn't change right. a thing. They we just got a little more time. Right. Char part. We, huh? we got a little bit more oh, okay, time. Okay. Why don't we no, bounce? No, she's yeah. going to bounce. Are we good? Yeah, he's got to bounce because okay. he's got. I ate it all up. I Somebody else wants it's to fine. talk to him. Tomorrow, Hamlin, thank God you're okay. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Charles, thanks. We appreciate it. We're going to stick and stay, but we're going to have you exit stage you left. Of course you are. So you're you guys always good to see you, especially in person. We're usually doing the Zoom thing with you. Travel safe. And, right. and we'll talk some more draft stuff down the road. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. Anytime you want, we're here for you. That's Charles Davis, NFL on CBS analyst and also NFL Network draft analyst. So uh, he'll be watching a little bit more tape. He even told us, hey, we're real early in the game. And, you know, he's going to be crunching yeah. tape for probably the next month or so. So the next time we have him on, he'll be much more well-versed and we'll hit him up on positional needs and stuff. But I'm, I'm almost – relieved that somebody outside somebody from the outside saw that same emotional deficit in the bills team after the demar hamlin yeah. incident because i said it on the air last week on our show i said i'll go to my grave telling people that was not the same team on the field that played the Bengals right. that not day. they the were emotionally done and and yes we talked about a lot you and i didn't and i, I think it, it it was obviously he feels like it was evident uh that that was a thing and I'm, I'm not so sure and I've, I've told you this I don't know if I've said this on the show or not but I guess I'll go ahead and, and put it out there. this is just my opinion there may be a handful of really good football players in that played on our team that may never be the same after that DeMar Hamlin incident um, it was that traumatic for some of these guys um, and it may show in the rest in the remainder of their careers let's not forget this coming up this fall the Bills not only have to play the Bengals in the regular season, they have to play them in Cincinnati. Right. They have to return to the scene where they witnessed all that stuff. I don't care if it's a year later. You can't tell me that's not going to run through their head when they step will. on that field. Very much so. I think it will very much. And uh, it'll be really something. And, and I'm certainly it's going to be a topic of conversation in the lead-up to the game. So they're not going to be able to escape it or downplay it because people like us are going to ask them about it. Um, yeah, that's and not only is it's and you know too, it's going to be a very important game for both those clubs in the hierarchy, you know, claim that these guys want to make. Who's the best team in the AFC? Who's going to be there at the end? Uh, this last season, it was the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Bills. In whatever order you want to put them in on any given week, it's going to be the same this coming year. Yeah, so those I, games are going to have a lot of weight, and it's going to have a lot of baggage for the Buffalo Bills. Right. Speaking of baggage, Jalen Carter now has some baggage to deal with. The top prospect in the entire draft class, defensive tackle from the University of Georgia. A warrant was put out for his arrest after it was discovered through their investigation by Clark County Police that he was allegedly racing the car that crashed and claimed the lives of his teammate, Andrew Willick, the offensive lineman, and 
the recruiting coordinator uh, who was driving the vehicle at a high rate of speed. So basically from what we have been told here, his representatives are making arrangements for him to turn himself in in Georgia. So we don't know this, but we would anticipate since his interview schedule is done here, he was scheduled to speak to the media this morning. That was canceled. We get it. We don't, we can, yeah. I think it's safe to assume that he is probably traveling back yeah, to the state of Georgia. We've been told, too, that his people, his representation, has been, have been in touch with Their the authorities. Say, and where he's going to He's going to come in and turn himself in. It's, there's, it's not like he's a fugitive or anything like that. These are misdemeanor charges, as uh, serious as they are, uh, and, and he will go address those in due course. He has come out with a statement saying that the information that is out there and being publicly trans- transmitted is not accurate. Um, don't know what he, you know, what it, exactly what he's referring to, but he has made this. He says he wants the truth to come out. He knows it was a tragedy. So um, this continues to have a little bit of a life of its own um, because it was a tragedy when it happened, yeah. and and he's he has some involvement in it, right? Allegedly, and, yeah, and it's and it's unfortunate, and we'll have to see how it makes its way through the judicial process to see how it could potentially impact his draft status and his playing career. I would imagine that his people, his representatives, his attorneys will probably try to find the best path to not serving any time for the mis because they are two misdemeanors, reckless driving and some other kind of racing misdemeanor. Right. Um, Reckless so, endangerment or something yeah, like that. Yeah, reckless driving, it was something else with racing. E- either way, you want you want to give this kid a chance as his attorney to start his career on time with whatever team drafts him. The question is, how much does this impact his draft status? Because, yes, this is something that points to decision-making and character. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't really change the fact that he is a generational talent at the defensive tackle position. And I, I said this earlier in the show, and I, I, I do believe in it. Certainly, um, if, if, even if he's guilty of these misdemeanors, which we don't even know, it, it, certainly he has also done. We, he's been reported, you know, some of the things about what kind of guy he is have been reported as well on the other side of the coin, which is. That's he's, very positive. He's yeah. been very selfless. He's been generous. Uh, his NIL money that he got for playing football at Alabama, he shared with, uh, not Alabama, Georgia. Georgia. Uh, he shared with a teammate to help the guy. He paid for the guy's meals uh, as they, every day as they went through this yeah, the because the guy was not was on a, scholarship. He was a walk-on, yeah. So he made sure that his teammate had the kind of food that a scholarship player would eat, and he did it out of his own pocket. Stuff like that. And my point being, it's going to depend highly on what the team thinks. Do they know that, you know, they know enough about him to know that good people make bad mistakes and especially young people, and what does what are they, they're going to have to decide for themselves what this incident and his involvement in it say about who he is going forward. Um, yeah, this is it's this heavy rough. stuff. It's heavy stuff because of the Outcome. consequences of what happened that night. 
Their people lost their lives. People, friends of his lost their lives. And um, they're trying to sift through whether he had any involvement in it that, that needs to be prosecuted. And it's, it's bad. Yeah, it, really tough uh, situation all the way around. We have to take a break here. When we return, we're going to get into the receiver class in this year's draft. And coming by to help us with that is CBS Sports Draft Analyst Chris Trapasso. You've seen him here filling in on the show when Steve and I are either out for a day off or on vacation. Chris is going to join us next to divvy up the receiver class next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, One Bills Live, and pleased to be joined now by CBS Sports Draft Analyst, sometimes fills in here on this very show, one Chris Trapasso joining us. Good to have you, Chris. How you been? You're all settled in here for the week that is here in Indy? Yeah, all settled in, and it's just an honor to be part of the show with, you guys have Tom Telesco, Western New Yorker, you have Charles (laughs) Davis. It's an honor to be part of the show here in Indy. Yeah, we're going to be busy this week, and we're kind of... The whole media world for the NFL is here, yep. and, and like you, and we've got a bunch of people who come on the show, have been guests on the show. You've been a co-host on the show, so we kind of touch base with all of them, and yeah, we're busy. Yeah, yeah we're busy. What uh, I know you gave us kind of a list of guys mm-hmm. that you've kind of taken a long look at in terms of prospects in the draft, and we should probably start with the position that I think Bills fans are literally obsessed with at this point, <laughs> which is the receiver position. Yeah. Not a class that's necessarily got a lot of alpha males like the past couple of years, but there's some guys that can help some teams. I know a guy that a lot of Bills fans spit out immediately is the Boston College kid, Zay Flowers. Small, you would argue maybe even a little undersized. Mm -hmm. I know he's been working really hard at his training facility to pack on lean muscle mass. I guess he's up to 182 now, but that was up from like 172, and he's only like 5'9". But tell us why he could be an exception to the rule being undersized. Because I think he plays bigger than that in those famous contested catch situations that you certainly need to have. Even if you're a big receiver and if you're five foot nine and you're playing in the 170s, you can't just be someone that's going to make defenders miss. You have yeah. to be able to win yeah. down the football field with more than just your speed. And to your earlier point, the fact that there's not a Jamar Chase or even a Garrett Wilson in this class that bodes well for the Bills, picking in the late 20s. They could maybe get the second or third wide receiver off the board. It feels like round two and round three. We've seen it in the past with D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown. Terry McLaurin was a third-round pick. That is where the the, the real meat of this what, uh, wide receiver class yeah. is in terms of overall talent. One of the guys I've, that struck me when I watched was the guy from Tennessee, Jalen Hyatt. Um, Flies. I, and I, yeah, he's a different kind of athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are his strengths and weaknesses? What What are your projections about him? Because he, he's certainly, I think, far enough down the list that he's going to be available at yep. some pick for the Bills. We'll see. What do you think it might be? Yeah, and that's a good point to bring him up because yesterday Brandon Bean talked about just adding playmakers to the offense and hitting those splash plays. He even spoke directly about we like our ability to move the football down the field, seven, eight, nine, ten play drives, but we know you're not going to always be able to do that, yeah. hitting those big plays. You watch Jalen Hyatt's film, even the highlights or individual games, that's all he was doing at Tennessee. He is a vertical, probably low 4-3 guys, maybe even high 4-2 type of player. I think he's decently twitchy. He's pretty quick. Just wasn't asked to run 
a wide variety of routes and kind of that wide open system at Tennessee last year. But for as much as I think the Bills need that run after the catch type, that Debo Samuel type player to their offense, you add someone that can really stretch those safeties down the field to this attack. And I think underneath, there's a lot more space for Josh Allen yeah. and all of these uh, wide receivers to operate. I had a monster game against Alabama this year. Five so TDs. That's going to uh, get you noticed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure. That's the film you put on your YouTube. Right well, there. yeah, and it's there. Don't worry. He, yeah. he, it's up there uh, in multiple places. Uh, the one guy that interested me, it, he kind of strikes me as a blue-collar guy, Jaden uh, Reed from Michigan State, physical player, do, you know, doesn't mind dishing out punishment to, to get extra yards. Mm-hmm. He, like, he welcomes contact. Yep. Um, I just kind of see the way he plays, and I, you know, I always think in my head, like, Bill's DNA, Bill's DNA that, you know, Bean and McDermott look for. He seems to fit at least that part of the dynamic and what they look for in a player. Yeah, definitely, and he was awesome at the Senior Bowl. And throughout this Bean and McDermott era, they've talked they about how— They take Senior Bowl, they, guys. And just yesterday, Brandon Bean said, you know, we love the Senior Bowl, the intimacy of it. They've taken a lot of players from there. Speaking about Zay Flowers being good in those contested catch situations, Jaden Reed's even better. He's a little bit bigger, like right around five foot 190 pounds. He actually reminds me, just in terms of his whole profile, of Stephon Diggs. Yeah. That Diggs was a fifth-round pick, had a really good junior or sophomore season, not quite as good as a junior. That's Jaden Reed. Route running ability, the nuance, Steve, you know. you got to be able to not just be athletic, but use shoulder fakes and head fakes and beating press at the line. Jaden Reed, maybe late day two, early day three, I think would be very good to learn behind Stephon Diggs early in his yeah, career. One of the things about Jaden Reed is – um, and, and you always hear him talk about this, but it really is a thing. The guy's a, a competitor. Very he's much a, so. He's a feisty, gritty guy who likes to run after the catch. Mm-hmm. got some skills after he catches the football. You're right, he might be a possession guy because of where he's going to get drafted and all that. But his, well, I don't know what you call it, his competitive nature shines through. And football scouts, they love that they love stuff. That. They yeah. love that stuff. Uh Jackson Smith and Jigba is a player that I think most Bills fans are familiar with just because he plays at such a high-profile school in Ohio State, but we didn't see much of him this year Mm -hmm. because he only played two games due to the injury. Another guy that's a little bit smaller, but I don't know if there's a receiver that works the middle of the field better than this kid, and the middle of the field is where you could argue the passing game was kind of lacking a little bit for the Bills last year, so he would look to be a fit there, but you wonder, does the injury history push him down far enough where the Bills even get a look at him? I think so. I think had he played this past season with C.J. Stroud in that offense, we would be saying let's not even talk about him because he's going to be a top 20 selection, top 15 most likely. I don't think he's a big-time athlete, and that's why I think beyond his injury history, he got hurt against Notre Dame and never really played again, why we're not hearing a lot more momentum, him being so far removed um, from that injury. But you're right. After the catch, he glides. He has awesome contact balance for being a little bit of a skinnier wide receiver. In the late 20s, if he was there and, and a lot of the other positions are off the board that the Bills like, that would be a maybe not a high upside pick, but then you throw him in where he's not the number one, he's the number two, and he has Josh Allen throwing him the football. He can be really good right away, a very high floor wide receiver. Yeah, And then, of course, it, uh, LSU has another kid coming out this year. They've got a little string going. Yeah. Uh, Kayshawn Boutte. 
Tell us about him. He reminds me a lot of Juju Smith-Schuster, that he's right around six foot, six one, around 200 pounds, and does everything well. He's not going to excel uh, down the field. He's not going to probably run crazy fast. He's not going to have a 40-inch vertical. But Juju Smith-Schuster has carved out a pretty nice career in Pittsburgh and Kansas City uh, just doing all the little things well. I think he's good enough after the catch. There's maybe some off-the-field stuff that could push him into day two where going into this past season, everyone thought Boutte would maybe be the first receiver off the board. So again, we're kind of sensing a theme here that it's really round two for all different reasons why a lot of these top-tier wide receivers are going to be available. One guy that kind of slipped under the radar initially for me um, and that I've only kind of been watching of late is the Parker Washington kid from Penn State. The thing that after, you know, kind of watching him and reading up on him a little bit, the thing that sticks out about his skill set for me is his hands and his ability to catch the ball even outside his body frame because he's not a huge dude, very athletic and going up and competing for the football. Mm -hmm. I'm just reminded of the Bills were second in the league and dropped passes last year. And so a guy with hands like this, could be attractive for them. The question is, where does he come off? Is he late day two? Is he midday two? Or is he even day three? Because he only had two touchdowns last year. He had like 600 yards. Like, he wasn't this stat behemoth. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I think it'll all depend on how he runs. Could, could he run even in the high four or fives? If he does that, he could be available in the fourth round. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a speed guy, but like you mentioned, he catches everything outside of his frame. Go watch the Ohio State game. You see the entire uh, gamut with Parker Washington. Contact balance of a running back, powerful, and made a lot of difficult catches outside his frame, extended, uh, taking a hit, not dropping the football. So I think those are things over the last two years that the Bills probably will prioritize a little more. How well you are running after, or how good you are running after the catch and how sure your hands are. And I think Parker Washington checks both of those He boxes. might not be as tall or as long as Debo Samuel, but he's like one of those guys who's closest in body type yeah. in terms of you know, getting yards after the catch, catch, fighting through contact kind of thing. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Debo Samuel, who, who did test pretty well. He wasn't a low 4-4 guy. No one expected that out of South Carolina. Parker Washington reminds me most of DJ Moore, who's kind of oh, okay. criminally underrated uh, with the Panthers. Coming out of Maryland, that was the game with him. It was... He's not going to run past people at the next level, but he will bounce off linebackers. He will make every catch, slants, RPOs. That's where Parker Washington really thrives. So, again, talked about five or six receivers. These are all guys I truly, really like as just an overall evaluator that will probably be there after the Bills pick in the first round. They could go offensive line, maybe safety, maybe linebacker in the first round and still get not just someone that's a developmental type, but a a true contributor early in his career. Yeah, we're going to be talking about all these other position groups as the week goes on yep. as well but thanks for being here with us the wide receivers are kind of yeah. a hot button for at this point now we've got a long way to go through free agency and all that but mm-hmm. still yeah we'll have you on later yeah. on in the week we'll hit some other positions of need for that sure. uh, the bills have and race through a few more guys but thanks for being here chris thanks, we'll catch up with you later in the week thanks that's chris trapasso cbs sports draft analyst joining us he'll be back later in the week for more here on one bills live presented by collada health it's buffalo bills radio In Indianapolis, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Good conversation there with Chris Trapasso. An interesting cross-section of 
some of the receiver talent that will be in the draft class. And as we heard Daniel Jeremiah tell us yesterday, Steve, it's really going to be different strokes for different folks. Like, what do you need? What do you think – what do you think is the ideal receiver type for what the Bills should add to the core? Because yeah, good the slot receiver, I think that's a role that we expect Khalil Shakir to compete for. Gabe Davis kind of showed he is an outside guy. Diggs, you can line up anywhere, but he's well, primarily yeah. your ex. Right. What? what what is the best receiver type it's an that the Bills question. should have? I think you get the best one that's on the board. But I think if in a perfect world, I think the Bills draft traits. And I think when you're talking about a wide receiver, there's a couple of things that are for First, he's got to be he's got to catch the ball. Secondly, I think you need a guy that can really go, a fast guy. I think speed is the thing in this game that changes things for defenses. Yeah. Uh, they are in, they they know always every snap they know who the fastest guy on the field is, and then unle- even if it's even if it's thirteen personnel, you know, they they know who the fastest guy who the threat is. Um, the Bills and you know you go to play Miami they know where Tyreek Hill is you know you know where those guys are yeah they know where those guys where the biggest threat is. I think that's the kind of guy they're going to get. They're going to get somebody who can really rip the lid off of it, and hopefully his skills. That guy will have a skill set that goes beyond that. Where he'll catch. He's a separator. He's good at run after the catch. Uh, he can ha- take a handoff on a sweep. That you know Isaiah McKenzie mixed in with Cole Beasley uh, and Khalil Shakir, right? And plus two, you want him as big as you can get him. Yeah. So you're looking for a guy that has a combination of those skills and is the best one. But you got to prioritize it. I, you know, is speed the best, the highest on the priority list, or is hands, or is separation? You know, um, you rarely get a guy that's got all of those things, and if he do have a guy like that, he's drafted before you can get him. Yeah, for my money, I think the kind of receiver that will help the Bills the most is the separator. The guy that separates the fastest, knows where to sit down in zone, can get away from press co- press man coverage, can work the middle of the field. I think that helps the Bills passing game the most because you know you have Diggs and Davis as surefire downfield threats. Khalil Shakir was coming on at the end of the season and showed some encouraging signs. I don't want to put my eggs all in that basket. I think you need something else there. And we saw Josh did not trust or chose to avoid making the easy completions I want somebody that can work the inside of the field that's going to be open in a second and a half to two seconds to convince Josh I can trust that guy's going to be there. They never adequately replaced Cole Beasley in this offense last year, so much so that they brought Cole Beasley back. They brought him back, I think, as an insurance policy in a year where they thought they might be losing some guys to injury and they had some guys nicked up. Um, he saw Jameson the field a little Crowder, bit, right. yeah, Jamison Crowder, and that, that that's why Cole Beasley was back in the fold because he was a plug-in and play. He knew the offense and could run, and draw, Josh trusted him, so he didn't had very little acclimation process. He was brought back as an insurance policy. That shouldn't be an issue this year. Khalil Shakir should have a relationship with Josh, just like you know McKenzie, just like Davis, and just like Diggs. Those guys should be at this point, after having a full season under their belt. 
Josh Allen should know those guys, their body language, the way they come out of breaks, all of that stuff. And it, that should be different. But I'm with you. You need as many playmakers out there as you can get, whether it is a separator, a route runner like you're talking about, or a speed guy like I'm talking about. You need more, not less, out there. Yeah, because as we've stated, it's an arms race in the AFC right now, and I think the Bills, from a depth of talent perspective at the receiver position, are a little bit behind. I would almost I would almost go to, and you, we've talked about this, where do you go in there? Say, I'm, we always exaggerate this to make a point, but first, second, third round, I'm, I'm getting big guys. I'm getting big athletic guys down inside, either on the offense or the defensive line. Then I'm getting playmakers on the outside. You can get guys that are – because the Chiefs have done it. There are guys out there. you got to go for somebody with a trait that translates to your offense. But Sky Moore was a second-round pick for the Chiefs. And if I remember right, yeah, second-round pick. I think I have that right. And he was not a size athlete. He was a separator. Right. Right. because he was like a receiver that was built like a running back, right. you know? Right. And they saw value in that in round two. Now, they had already signed yeah. Juju Smith-Schuster as their like primary a, slot. Right. They still had Kelsey who could work the middle of the no, field so and was a wall-off player. I'm exaggerating to make a point. I mean, I'm not saying they, they don't, shouldn't take I'm not them. saying, yeah, you know I know. What I, mean? I know you're not speaking in absolutes. I get it. Right, but that's, that's what I'm looking at. You, I just think to help enhance the likelihood of getting a guy to add to your receiving core that could help you right away, it's probably got to be in round one or two. Could you find somebody that can do more for you? Surprisingly so in round three or four? Sure. But I don't like the odds of what the history has shown us when you wait that long. Right. So call me impatient. Call me pessimistic. Right. But round one or round two. I want to get somebody that's at least in the top six on my board at the receiver position so I feel good about, hey, this kid's going to come into camp and he's going to look like a George Pickens right. in Pittsburgh where he's, he's trash-talking Minka Fitzpatrick in training camp right. saying, you're not breaking up a pass on me because right. I'm catching it. You're right. And then went out and did it. Right. Yeah. Give me they're, one of those guys. They're rare. You got those. Those are the kind of guys you're fi- going to try and find. Um, but for everything you find out about them, that makes them that guy. Thirty-one of the teams find out that that's the guy they want. Well, to. right. Which is why I think you have to go early. <laughs> um, I mean, you want to take the lineman first. I'm on board with you. Right, I'm on board with right. that. That's Round two, though. I think they're particularly given the fact that we've got guys under contract who we know can play. You may not be, have been satisfied with the season Gabe Davis had. You may not be satisfied with the contribution Shakir was allowed to make or satisfied with any of that. But those guys are here. They're veterans in this offense. And you've got reason to believe there's a top end that they can reach still. Yes. So, the, and, and I get it. Free agency is going to change everything. But for now, right now, it's the big guys down inside on both sides of the line of scrimmage that I'm the most worried about. So today, for today's draft, I'm doing it the way I want. I'm going to get a big guys up front and fill in the playmakers on the back. Yeah, and obviously this conversation could change dramatically. It'll change tomorrow, if, by the way. But no, but it, <laughs> but, well, it'll also change dramatically when we see what Brandon Dean adds in free right. agency. Right. Defensive tackle could be off the board as a need for the Bills because maybe they re-sign Jordan Phillips 
and they get somebody else in right. free agency, and it's like, oh, wow, that interior looks even better than it did last year. Right. Um, so, you know, we know free agency can change a lot of things, but I think receiver is one of those positions where we're hoping to see an addition in free agency right. and in the draft. And I'll say this, too. There's going to be some dudes in free agency that are going to be available. I don't know if we can afford them. I don't know if they'll fit under the cap. I don't know if they'd want to sign here. All and that it's stuff. it's an expensive but position. But I'm telling you what, man, there's going to be some names out there that, that Bills fans will be in a full lather to get in a Bills uniform. Full lather. Okay. And I, you and I will too. I mean, well, can you sure. imagine Keenan Allen popping out and getting out on the free agent market? Yeah. You know, and DeAndre Hopkins getting out on the free agent well, market. Well, or traded. Yeah, Hopkins could be traded. And think about it. Sign me up for that. Sign so, yeah. me up for that. I'm uh, so all these names are going to be out there, and you know the Bills are in line to to kick the tires on those guys. That's going to be the fun part. Uh, remember how fun it was last year when they signed a guy Von Miller. It was weeks before I could even get my mind around before I realized. I saw a 40, <laughs> number 40 jersey said Miller on the back. I could not remember who it was. Like, Who's that? I was like, what? That must be the guy's name. That guy's wearing its name. And sure enough, I, oh, my gosh, that's right. We've got Vaughn Miller. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll be there again, too. There'll be another one like that. I'll be like, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't be sad if that was the case because you're talking. I just don't know if they can really do top-of-the-market stuff. So right. Maybe not. And Brandon Bean gave us indication of that. Yesterday, another jam-packed show coming your way tomorrow as we are live at the NFL Combine. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, plenty more to bring your way. We will see you at 1 p.m. Same bad time, same bad channel, same location.